people who are creative and they dabble in design, there's just something about them that gives them this um, intuition. Creatives are inspired regardless of um, what it is that they're trying to make. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with the founder of Olympus Watches, Jenna Jong. Olympus Watches use recycled parts off supercars and incorporate them into their watches, which are then assembled and certified in Switzerland. Jenna and I had a great conversation about how she came up with the idea for Olympus Watches, the value of handcrafted products, and overcoming the challenges of a new entrepreneur. You can check out Olympus Watches on their website, olympuswatches.co, and go to the Indiegogo page. Both links will be available in the show notes. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Jenna Jong, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing all right. How are you, Walker? I'm good. Thank you. So, Jenna, you are with Olympus Watches, uh, which I understand is a company that your family operates. Is that correct? Oh, it's just me. Oh, well, just you? Me. Yeah, I founded oh, the company cool. and oh, wow. uh, I now run it with a couple of business partners. So, we got a, oh. yeah, we got a couple people on the team. Nice. Well, that's really cool. Well, instead of me stumbling through what it is and, and probably missing something, can you just tell our listeners what Olympus watches are? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the short elevator pitch for Olympus Watch Co. is that we are Swiss made watches crafted with um, recycled uh, supercar parts. Mm. And our latest collection, the Galante collection is made from recycled Lamborghinis. Wow. So I don't know much about watches uh, or supercars, I will admit. Um, but whenever I heard that this was was what the Olympus watches were, I was like, well, that's one of the cooler ideas I've ever heard. How did you arrive at that really creative idea? So I've always been kind of a you know watch nerd and a car nerd. And um, this idea came to me when um, it was in November of 2017. Uh, this is around the time when Hurricane Harvey hit and I was sitting by myself at home and um, one of the news segments caught my eye and it's about how much Hurricane Harvey decimated the automotive industry here in Houston. Mm. And watching all those cars get you know, sent to the pound impound was really heartbreaking for me. And I wanted to do something with those cars because uh, especially for supercars, a lot of um, affection and passion goes into every piece of it. You know, with a Ferrari, for example, the seats are hand stitched. Um, you know, everything is handmade and custom made. And for that to just go to waste, um, either in a junkyard or, you know, um, turned into something else, it sort of, it, I don't know. I just feel like there was so much that could be translated into a different story if I just preserved it and turned it into something that you can keep and um, admire every day. And so that's why I created Olympus Watch Co. as sort of a storytelling time capsule for these cars. 
Yeah. So I, I mean, I'll just, again, like I said at the beginning, I'm very ignorant to, to these, both of these topics. Um, I didn't realize that there was that level of hand craftsmanship in supercars. And I guess in higher end watches, that same level of hand craftsmanship is also involved. Is that right? Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, all of our watches are handcrafted. So they're hand assembled and, um, the piece in the back, we have to manually treat it. We don't have any machinery. Um, it's all by hand. Wow. So really it kind of is, I mean, again, to the layman like me, it's like, wow, that's a crazy combination, but really it kind of makes sense because they both have this level of commitment from the people who made them, uh, who make the watches or the supercars where there's a lot of personal investment more so than you would think of in a car or a watch that's maybe produced in a factory by machines or, or something like that. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I'm trying to preserve because there's this level of old timey artisanal craftsmanship that you just can't get when you get a Prius or, you know, a Camry, you know, those are really reliable cars, but at the end of the day, um, they're precisely made and they're reliable, but there's just something about it that's kind of missing. Mm-hmm. And if you sit inside a Lamborghini or Ferrari, you can literally feel that there's so much that goes into every car, just the detail with the designs, um, with the materials that they pick out that just go along so well with each other. Um, it's made by a team of highly passionate people who grew up loving what they do, and that's why they do it. Um, these people don't get paid a lot of money, mm-hmm. but they spend hours and hours just you know, sweating and bleeding over these cars. And that's what's so precious. And that's what um, gives me the motivation to preserve these car pieces. So you you talked about that the the inspiration kind of came out of um, following the devastation of of Hurricane Harvey there in Houston. Is that where you're originally from? Yes, I'm also currently in Houston. Okay, cool. So, I mean, growing up, is, is is your family involved in these in in watches or cars or does your family have some involvement in in a handcrafted thing like where does this passion for for these things come from my family is not so uh my family immigrated here um well i wasn't born in houston but i practically grew up here i came here when i was in first grade so So yeah same difference uh, (laughs) yeah same difference but um my dad's an engineer and my mom's an accountant You, you know your stereotypical like immigrant family but something I really, really enjoyed as a little kid was taking things apart and putting back together, mm-hmm. uh, putting them back together with my dad. He taught me a lot about mechanical engineering when I was really small. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've always loved how things are put together. And um, I ended up going the path of design. Mm-hmm. Um, so I studied fashion design when I was in college. Um, went off to New York and then London and then Milan. But for some reason, even though I loved fashion very much, it just doesn't speak to me the same way as little gadgets um, that come together and work together do. And that's why I decided to move back into something that I really enjoyed, which is uh, watches. So, and again, this might be a really dumb question, but like do the watches have batteries or is it like a thing where it just goes after it's wound up for it for a period of time so right now the starter watch that we do is a quartz battery powered watch 
Um, It's something that we start off with, but actually we have mechanical and automatic watches in the pipeline. We're working on developing them right now. And so those are going to be out very, very soon, hopefully. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, I've talked to, I don't know that I've ever talked to a fashion person. I had, I've had, you know, musicians and authors and talked to them about their creative process. And I had these two sisters on the show last year that, that create perfumes. Um, and that was interesting to hear what they, how they go about capturing an idea for a fragrance, but what goes into designing the watch? Like, how do you decide how you want it to look, what colors to use or what elements to use? Uh, as far as how it looks? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of my inspiration comes from going to the car meets or going to uh, garages where people are taking apart Ferraris and Lamborghinis and putting them back together. Um, I have good friends in San Antonio. They actually um, own a shop where they convert um, F430 Ferrari scuderias um, from automatic to manual transmission. And that was really eye-opening for me because they have so many Ferraris just lined up, you know, bumper to bumper in their garage. And you can see them. They're all opened up. There's stuff scattered everywhere. And you just see the inner workings of a Ferrari and and of Lamborghinis and Audis. And it's just so fascinating how everything comes together for these cars to work. And I take that inspiration and I bring it back to my drawing board and um, I create something that sort of emulates that feeling and um, the mechanical marvel that's inside of these cars. Sorry for sounding a little No, bit. <laughs> no, no, that's not at all. It, it, it's so fascinating because that's honestly not the same, of course, because they're not inspired by Ferraris when they make the perfumes, those, those two ladies I was talking about earlier. But it, it, it's the word that you used is trying to capture a feeling. Yes. And that's you know, when I talk to musicians, that's what they're trying to do with songs, right? Or when I talk to authors, that's what they're trying to do with their stories, typically. Um, it's just it's just fascinating, again, as someone who doesn't, <laughs> I create a podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> that there's not too much handcraftedness in, in the, the back, back end of this. Um, so it's just fascinating to, to understand or to see it, the, the parallels between what would on the surface look like completely separate fields and then yet the creative inspiration behind them has parallels you know in this case trying to capture a feeling um and i guess to some extent olympus watches does that as well with the the (laughs) the blending of the the hand craftsmanship in watches and supercars and blending that so parallels absolutely (laughs) and I, i think you know being in both fashion design and watch design. I also did, you know, um, accessories design and web design, interior design. There is a lot of um, not just parallels, but overlap. Mm. Um, And people who are creative and they dabble in design, there's just something about them that gives them this um, intuition. Creatives are inspired regardless of Um, what it is that they're trying to make. That's why on YouTube, you see these musicians. um, I think the band is called Winter Garden. Mm. They're Swedish. And um, they made this really amazing looking music box. And it's, you know, life size and it's huge. And there's this giant thing that you have to wind on the side. And there's a million marbles coming in from the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen when I first saw it. So 
that's how you know, you know, music overlaps with engineering, overlaps with, you know, design. All of these things are interconnected and that's how creatives work. We're inspired by everything around us and we just put it into something physical that we can show everyone. Right. Well, obviously watches have, to your point, you know, you've already made a mechanical engineering aspect to them, but isn't it fair to say that they're also a part of fashion to some extent, especially something like an Olympus watch. I mean, it's not just a, a Timex or, or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's what sets our watches apart is because there's a little piece in it that's very sentimental. And, you know, a lot of watch companies, they have a similar um, inspiration behind them, whether it's, you know, Omega, the first watch on the moon, or, you know, Rolex being involved in um, World War II. They all have some type of uh, sentimental value and heritage to them. And that's why beyond even a fashion statement, it's sort of a statement of, you know, something that you connect with uh, emotionally or spiritually. Um, in our case, it's people who love the cars and the stories behind the cars and they want to represent that or they want to keep that for themselves. Yeah. So when it comes to the watches being made in Switzerland, I mean, I, I have some colloquial, I guess, understanding that Swiss watches are the best, but I don't actually know why I think that other than I just, you know, heard it at some point in my life. What is it that sets the Swiss watchmakers apart from the rest of the world? Well, the best, th the best way to describe it is the Swiss love watches and they take great pride in what they do um mm -hmm. it's a part of their history and when you think about switzerland you think about maybe three or four things and watches is one of them right um when i talk to any swiss watchmaker um their entire family were watchmakers for generations and generations and this this is the type of heritage that's been handed down and they have the best grasp on the knowledge around making watches more so than anyone else in the world. And that's why they come out with the most innovative, most beautiful and exquisite designs. And um, their movements just perform much better because the quality is just phenomenal. Mm. It's, it's interesting to see that because I think in the modern era with, and I don't mean this in a political sense, but just globalization and, you know, the internet and, you know, in, in the nineties somewhere on another continent was far away and it was, you know, you could only see magazines or books or, you know, something at the library, but now it's so much easier to feel connected. I mean, with something like Google maps, you can go and quote unquote, visit a city. I mean, not that that's the same experience as being in a city, but um, so it's interesting to find that even in our modern world where everyone is so connected and, and so much information is shared you do still have these pockets of nuance throughout the world where people are still able to specialize in something that can't be replicated just by um, someone else being aware of it or, or seeing it. Yeah, exactly. And I think it stems back to the fact that, you know, when it comes to watches and precision, the Swiss are the hopeless romantics of the world um, because they're so very, very much devoted to the old timey things like a tourbillon movement, which is absolutely obsolete. Um, 
and it's just a design choice at this point. There's no use for it. Hmm. But um, they created it and they take great pride in it. And I think that's what adds to the value and um, the exclusivity of Swiss watches in general. So what was the process like for you being in Houston to connect with Swiss watchmakers? Like, was it hard to get them to take you seriously at first? Or was it a challenge to to connect with them? Or, or did you blow them away with your idea? You know, that's a funny story. Um, I found my current partner in Switzerland just by emailing him with my idea. I was going through, um, I think, like 20 or 30 watchmakers. But... The thing about him that really stuck out to me was he also loved cars and he also loved watches. Well, obviously he loved watches. <laughs> <laughs> But he worked in both industries and he has his own Porsche Carrera, I believe. Oh, wow. And um, he and I just clicked instantly. And, you know... They always say it's impossible to find Swiss watchmakers, but I didn't find it that difficult. Um, I reached out to a few and, you know, probably 70% of them replied back. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't impossible to find one. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, to this day, it's probably the best decision that I made um, making my watches in Switzerland. I'm learning so much from them and, you know, Maybe they don't take everybody too seriously, but um, they're some of the nicest people I've ever met. And I've been in production for quite a few years, and I can definitely attest to the fact that, you know, the Swiss are probably the most professional and the kindest people I've ever worked with. Wow, that's really cool. So have you, have you been able to go over there and visit? Unfortunately, no. I was planning a trip pre-COVID, but <laughs> <laughs> right. it fell through. Yeah. Right, right. That's fair. So I was looking at, um, at your Kickstarter, um, and I, I noticed that along with the watch, people who purchase a watch get some other things along with it. Can you talk about other things that people who purchase an Olympus watch can, can expect? Yeah, so on our Kickstarter, uh, if we hit our funding goal of uh, $75,000, uh, everybody would receive a plaque with an extra piece of a Lamborghini inside of it. And um, it would commemorate the uh, Lamborghini itself, and it would also tell a story about where the car part came from. Mm. How do you how do you source the information about where the, the cars come from? Because I would assume they come from a variety of places. Yes. Yeah, so when we purchase the car parts, um, we would talk to um, the distributor, not exactly distributor, but we, we would talk to the owner of the shops and ask for the VIN number, and then that's how you track where each part came from. Oh, cool. So when it comes to the parts of the car that are in the watch, is it is it like any part could potentially be utilized? Or is it, again, I, again I'm not a car guy, but like, is it stuff from under the hood? Or is it like body parts? Uh, that sounds weird to say. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> Not real, not human body not parts. Not human body not parts. Not creepy, right, right, right. I didn't mean to make it dark. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you brought up a good point. And I think right now what we're doing is using the body parts 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for, for joining me. <laughs> You're very welcome. And <laughs> in the future, we're definitely considering using, you know, leather seats that may have, might have been damaged uh, in some way. We can also use parts from the chassis, maybe from the engine. Um, we just connected with a couple of material scientists that are working uh, specifically on cars, and they've managed to make a piece for the uh, Shelby Supercar Tuatura. Mm. Um, it is one of the fastest cars in the world, and they created a piece inside. So these are really, really uh, knowledgeable people. So once we connect with them, we'll definitely be able to work out um, other components of the car and how we can repurpose them into watches. So I'm also curious, and my understanding of of the watch market is that you know obviously you have the the you know you can pick up a watch probably at a gas station. I mean I don't know that for sure, but I would assume that's possible. You can get a smartphone at a gas station, um, so that's the very lowest end of it. But then I mean there's like million dollar watches out there to some right. So yeah, where where does Olympus watches fall into the spectrum of of pricing um, when it comes to to this huge range? You know, I'd probably say that we're one of the more affordable Swiss made watches in the market today. Mm. Um, and that's only because um, we want to make sure that um, while we do spend a lot of time and effort on marketing and branding. We don't want to overspend because that cost gets carried over to the final price of the watch. We're trying to find a balance between creating something that's really great quality, but also at the same time, not being too exclusive to customers because we know that it's not something that we would want to represent that level of exclusivity. Like for example, a Birkin bag, you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars in Hermes before you're even invited to buy a Birkin bag. And that's artificial inflation, you know, right. and I don't believe in that stuff. I believe that, you know, good quality should be accessible to, to everybody. Just like Ferraris and Lamborghinis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's hope so one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point though, that you, you know, the, the very first thing you spoke to on this and that's that there's that when it comes to something that's handcrafted, I mean, even if you, you know, you can go buy a, and this is not exclusive to watches or, or cars, you can buy a blanket at, you know, Walmart or Target or something for 20 or $30 or whatever. But if you go and order a blanket that's hand knit by somebody, it's, it's probably going to be a few hundred dollars. You know what I mean? But yes. it's, it's because it takes that much more effort for it to be done, but it's also more special in a variety of ways because of that. So, yeah. 
And so also, you know, the $20 blankets, there's two issues with it. One, it's not going to last you as long as something that was handcrafted and, you know, um, with good quality materials. But two, uh, we're, as Olympus Watch Co., we're very conscious of where we source our labor and where we source our materials. And we want to make sure that uh, all the hands that have touched our products um, and the people behind it are treated fairly and paid a good wage. And so, of course, that adds up to maybe a, a little bit of a higher cost to the consumers, but at least uh, you know that the people who have worked on um, your products are all treated humanely. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's really, uh, obviously that's really important. And, and the fact that you're using recycled car parts and there's a lot of, um, uh, this is just such a generic word to say positivity, but there, there is just a lot of goodness that you're, you're building into this. Um, and I think that's really cool. So do you, do you consider things like, like smartwatches and that sort of stuff, or is that just a completely different set of buyers? And so not really relevant to what you guys are doing. I think smartwatches have expanded and grown to the point where um, many people who own classic watches um, also have a smartwatch just because they serve different functions. Mm. Um, but at the same time, they're also in their own realm, mostly because um, they don't they, they don't look the same, you know, or right. smartwatches all look the same. But, um, you know, we call it, you know, a soulless watch because <laughs> right. it, it's almost like it just rolls off the assembly line and everybody has the same one. You can customize it, but at the end of the day, there's there's no substance to it, right? It serves a purpose and it serves a use. And so, right. you know, there there's some level of value to it, obviously. Otherwise, it wouldn't be so popular. Right. But, um you know, I, I don't know. I feel like would I would never ever... personally make a smartwatch. Okay, um, that was going to be my question. I am <laughs> um, I'm, I'm more of an old-timey type person. I, I like technology, but I feel like it should be reserved for certain things only. I don't mm. want to um, make my personal life so high-tech. I think there's a sort of romanticism in doing things for yourself in, you know, um, cooking your own dishes and, um, you know, growing your own vegetables. And th there's something that just keeps you grounded. And if there's too much technology in your life, you're so far removed from that, that um, it's hard to sort of stay human. I don't know if that's the right way to yeah. phrase it. No, I mean, hearing you say it, I mean, it just, it, again, it connects back to everything else you're talking about. I mean, I don't mean to, to keep saying the same things, but it, it just connects back to, again, this handcraftedness that you're talking about, where it's, it, you're constantly trying to preserve the humanity in things um, to, to, to kind of showcase that, if you will, in something that's otherwise a mechanical product. Well, so I was going to ask you also, I mean, we, we mentioned your Kickstarter. What was the process of launching a Kickstarter? Like, my understanding is that can be a pretty significant undertaking um was that a, a, a really harrowing experience or was it all pretty smooth transition into the kickstarter or how, how was that process oh man um <laughs> <laughs> well you could just tell by my reaction how how much work we had to put in 
I think we spent about seven months preparing. Mm. Um, since this was our first Kickstarter, we had no idea what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And there were just so many moving parts and not enough uh, manpower. Mm. And so I wouldn't call it a harrowing experience. I would say that it is very much a growing experience. And I think mm-hmm. we all learned so much from it. And we're all excited to finish this uh, crowdfunding campaign and move on to the next one because I think this is uh, a great starting place for us. And um, we are going to make the next one even bigger and better. So, yeah, so this first initial run is 1,600 watches. Is that correct? 1,600, yes. And so then what comes after that? Is it another, will it always be like small groupings like that? Or, or will you have larger runs at some point? I believe that the runs are just going to start getting smaller and smaller. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one thing is that the watches themselves are going to become more bespoke. Um, the movements are going to become more special. Mm-hmm. And uh, another one is we're going to start sourcing them from, from cars that are very uh, much more rare than wow. what we do now. So there's going to be less uh, pieces available for us to use. Um, eventually, we might even branch out into, you know, um, this is just me, you know, speaking, sure. um, you know, out of out of um, wishful thinking, but maybe you know, a SpaceX rocket because I'm a big oh, Elon wow. fan. Yeah, and you know, I, I heard him talking in multiple interviews that uh, a lot of SpaceX rocket parts cannot be reused. And so they just have it sitting somewhere in their factory, I would hope. And maybe we can work out a deal with them and turn those into watches. I think there would be a lot of people that would be excited to have a watch made from a SpaceX rocket. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a bunch of stuff that can't be used. Insert Jenna. (laughs) Different story now. Um, Yeah, but we'll see what happens. You know, uh, I'm a big fan of Elon's, but he's still very much out of reach. So Sure, sure. So, I mean... Starting a new business like this, um, I mean, like you said, with the Kickstarter, it's all new and, and you don't know exactly how it all is supposed to work or whatever. How do you deal with with that anxiety? How do you what do you do to process the I don't I don't know if fear is the right word, but but maybe the anxiety or the, the uncertainty of of all of this? Um, so I have a mentor. His name's Javier. He's also part of the team. He's in the video. Um, he's 10 years older than me and he's been running his own businesses, uh, for a very long time. And so Mm. whenever I have uh, moments of uncertainty or anxiety, I confide with him and he always calms me down because he's been in those situations before. And so having that person to lean on is very, very helpful. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I, and I, I'm, I'm really glad you said that because that's something that has come up as a theme on this show with with a lot of the guests I've had is, is that idea of mentorship. Um, And I think it's something that gets underserved in the conversation about how people accomplish things or how people um, yeah, reach new heights, if you will. There's a lot of attitude of like, you know, you pull yourself by your bootstraps and, and, and not that I mean to imply that you don't work incredibly hard and that you haven't largely accomplished this on your own. That's not my point, but, you know, I was interviewing a guy one time who runs a wilderness therapy uh, service in Utah. And and so 
adolescents go and, and they have this like outdoor retreat and then they work with psychologists and mental health professionals. But a lot of, of the experience is them being put in uncomfortable and unfamiliar situations. And I asked him, do you think that's the, the key to growth is, is being uncomfortable? And he said, I mean, it might be a part of it, but I think that he's like, anytime I've ever made a big change or a big leap in my own growth, I've always had a mentor there as well. Um, and I thought that that yeah. was a really interesting point because it's, again, it's not one that I think is emphasized enough. It, and I don't mean to be overly personal with, with you, but if you don't mind, how did you find Javier as a mentor? Is it someone that, that was a friend of the family or something, or how did you seek out this mentor? Oh, just uh, by chance, actually. So uh, I'm currently in an MBA program in Texas, and um, I reached out to the entrepreneurship program there um, with my idea. And the guy I talked to just coincidentally said, well, my cousin's really into cars and watches, so let's uh, <laughs> hook you guys up. <laughs> and that's what happened. I mean, like I met him uh, at a dinner three minutes away from my house, and we kind of just hit it off. And he's like, all right, well, I want to see where this is going. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll take you under my wing, essentially. But this is after, you know, the fifth year of me trying to start businesses. And in the beginning, you know, when you say, oh, I'm going to start a business, and I'm sure you've went through the same. Um, people don't really take you that seriously. Right. Um, and for me, you know, I, I tell people I want to start a watch business. I mean, people here in Texas know nothing about watches, right? So they're like, what are you doing with the watch business? Uh, why not anything else? Right. Um, and so, you know, there wasn't anyone that I could really ask for help or guidance in because none of them knew um, what this industry is even about. And so yeah. I had to do a lot of poking on my own and a lot of research. And, you know, I got to tell you, it's doing something that's out of the norm is always going to be lonely. For a long time mm. but um once you start getting the gears uh spinning it does end up um helping you out in the long term for one it makes you a stronger person and uh, with every little success you start to believe in yourself a little bit more mm. and that confidence sort of radiates and uh, you start to attract people who um have the same kind of personality and the same kind of drive and you end up building your own small community around you. And that's how um, I found my mentor to begin with. So in order for you to find the right mentors, you can't just have an idea. You have to keep trying and failing on your own before you find the right people. Mm. Yeah. How cool that you, I mean, like you said, it's not, it's not as if you woke up one day, <clears throat> had this one idea and then, told someone and then everything just fell into place. It's a, yeah. it's a rigorous process over a long time, but how cool that you were able to eventually find a mentor that has a, an interest in both cars and watches. And then you're able to find the Swiss watchmaker who, <laughs> again, to your point, obviously likes watches, but also yeah. is into supercars. Like how, I, I mean, <laughs> I want to say serendipitous, but that almost again, undersells all of the effort that, that goes into it. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, um, sorry to interrupt. Um, no, please. <laughs> you'd be surprised how big the overlap on that Venn diagram is. Okay. A lot of car guys are also watch fanatics. And I think it has to do something to do with the engines inside and how things work together. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's the mechanical engineering behind both of them right. that, you know, something about it just really clicks. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is a completely silly question probably, but have you ha- have you approached, being in the Houston area, have you reached out to like the, the Houston Rockets in any capacity? And I, I ask that only because I know in the NBA player circles, I say I know, I don't know any of them, from podcasts and stuff that I've listened to, conversations I've listened to, there seems to be a pretty heavy interest, in, at least in some circles of the NBA, in in both supercars and in watches as well. It seems like that could be a place where this could, could really take off. I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, NBA is something that's on the uh, – we're working on it. Uh, yeah. We haven't really reached out to them yet. But a piece of exciting news, um, we were just uh, – we met up with the mayor of Houston, and he really loved the watches. And um, he said that this is a great product, and he, you know, um, he approved of it. And I, I think that was a, a big moment for all of us on the team. Yeah. Uh, when he did that. And so we haven't reached out to any professional athletes at the moment, but you know, something's going to happen in February. It might not be the Rockets, but it's something. right. Okay. So I look forward to that. Cool. Cool. Um, well, one, one, one other thing I wanted to ask, I, I also noticed that uh, a, a portion of all the sales of, of each watch um, goes to Habitat for Humanity. And again, you know, you've talked about, obviously it's recycled parts, and you've talked about how the the people that make it, you know, you're, you, all of the people involved in the production of the watches are paid fair wages and, and that sort of thing. Can you talk about why you chose Habitat for Humanity and kind of what that relationship means to you? Yeah. So um, Habitat for Humanity ties back into uh, Hurricane Harvey. And, you know, I've had friends and family who lost everything uh, to the hurricane. Unfortunately, that's just the sort of norm for a lot of people in Houston and they're mm-hmm. still rebuilding from what they're trying to recover from, you know, that hurricane, even though it happened, you know, four years ago now or three yeah. years ago. And so it's always an ongoing thing and we're still rebuilding and um, we're still recovering, but also at the same time, Javier's um, other company that he runs uh, is in the construction business. And mm. so he's done a lot of projects with Habitat for Humanity, uh, Pro Forma. It's Pro Forma the word? No, Pro Bono. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> pro Bono. Um, and so because we already have that connection, it would be just very seamless for us to work with them again. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's super cool. Um, well, Jenna, I got to say, I think the Olympus watches are, are are super cool, and I'm I'm completely humbled that you would come on the show and, and talk to me about this and share your insights and share about your journey. Um, the website for, for people to go and check out, which I'll have this in the show notes, is olympuswatches.co. Uh, and then, like I said, you've got a Kickstarter as well. So I'll have links to both of those. Is there anywhere else, social media or anything, that you'd like me to, to include for people to, to follow or connect with you? Sure. You can also follow us on Instagram at Olympus Watches Co. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll make sure and have that in the show notes. Um, Well, Jenna, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you this evening. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Walker. You have a good evening. Thanks. And the 
Christmas tree became a running in Missouri without a ring. Neighbors on the front porch strumming a cool from the dollar tree. Summer nights we would chase it with kids playing out and see. Smell the brick chuckle burning, a watermelon runs in dirty feet. Looking back, past is future's bad. Looking back, you find the key to be free. That's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Jenna Jong for joining and sharing her passion and wisdom. The links for the Olympus Watch's website and Indiegogo campaign are included in the show notes. I also, of course, want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening. I also invite you to check out my other shows, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters, or my other podcast, The Crowfall Podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of those shows are available on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.